Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Jonathan David Lynch. Dr. Lynch received his PhD from the University of Aberdeen, and his dissertation is entitled Weakness of Faith, a Hermeneutical Key to Interpret Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Corpus. Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to it too. Um, I've uh, had this slew of, uh, of Bonhoeffer scholars from Aberdeen, uh, PhDs from Aberdeen come through. I've been assigned a, a, a dissertation literature review. And so I have to sort of read through it. So it's been really cool. I, I kind of, I'm getting access to all this literature that I hadn't had before. So it's been, it's, it's been cool to also like make these connections of people who have also moved across the world and lived in this different culture and, and done all this. So, so thanks for taking the time. Yeah, man, I, I'm happy to be here, man. So how did, how did all this start for you? Like, what was, what was that journey of like discovering Dietrich Bonhoeffer and then coming over here to Aberdeen? Well, I really started to get into Bonhoeffer when I was in the state studying my MDiv and I really started to fall in love with his understanding of leadership, I suppose, or I, I just, I just read him because I, I loved the way that he thought. I loved how realistic it was and how not inflated it was, you know, he, he's just talking about Jesus and faith in God. And I, I just like the simplicity of him, honestly. And I was studying at Durham uh, before, cause I thought about, trying to get into like the master's plus PhD program there. And Durham was a fantastic place to study. And when I was nearing towards the end of that, thinking like, hey, am I actually going to take this step into the PhD here at Durham? Um, actually had an opportunity to study with Stephen Plan at Cambridge. Oh, nice. And, and Stephen's awesome. Like yeah, he's everything a friend that of the he show. writes, oh, but he's such a good writer. Yeah. Um, but then I came across Tom's work while I was at Aberdeen and or not at Aberdeen, at, at Durham. And when I'm reading Tom's work, what I like is, I mean, the unfortunate thing is in, in Europe, especially England and Scotland, um, not everybody who writes theology or teaches theology actually believes in it. I mean, I mean that's, that's just the fact. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when I started reading Tom's theology about Bonhoeffer, even Bart, um, I, I find this theologian that, doesn't just want to write theology. It's not just, this isn't just something that he's doing for his career. He actually believes this. And on the side, he actually preaches too. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, this is the guy I want to study under. But really it was reading, he has like this paper called Theology Against Fundamentalisms or something to that effect. And one of these phrases that he has that just captivated me was that God cannot be confused with the spatio-temporal limitations to which religion belongs. And in this paper and in, in a lot of his articles uh, at that time when he was writing, he's talking and focusing on the sovereignty of God. And you can tell by the way he writes that he believes this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's really what led me to him. And, the, and then I actually got to talk with him and and meet up with them. And Tom is just an incredible guy. Yeah. I mean, he really is. You can tell that when you talk to him, when you read his work, it's when you hang out with him that you realize that everything he does is to honor the Lord. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. 100%. He's not just a scholar. He, he 100% believes this stuff. And I just love that about him. And when I went to Aberdeen, I saw that Tom wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Phil Ziegler is, that's, it's just a good team. Phil Ziegler, I met him. He's a blast. Um, he is just incredibly nice and thoughtful all the time. And it's not just because he's Canadian. I mean, everybody <laughs> knows he's Canadian, but, but honestly, you could throw me in a pub or a coffee shop with Phil all day. Yeah. And the only thing that you're going to get from Phil is sincerity and a really deep, good conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. Um, man, one of the best, one of the best papers that I ever attended at Aberdeen was Brian Brock. So he had this paper called a theology of garbage. And uh, I, I just thought to myself, what is this paper going to be about? And it was amazing because he talked about the fact that since 1922, we have started to make things that are um, disposable. And Mm -hmm. so as a result throughout time, we've started to think about people as disposable (laughs) and just absolutely fascinating. And it, it was really captivating. So studying Bonhoeffer, reading about him, and then moving into this transition of Aberdeen, I, I just knew I was in the right hands. I was around yeah. a group of people that took theology and faith and ministry seriously. That's been my experience too. Uh, I haven't met uh, most of the professors here. I'm, I'm still sort of like, I'm just now getting kind of comfortable on campus. Um, I haven't met Tom Gregg yet. Um, he definitely has one or two emails from me in his inbox um, asking to <laughs> to come on to the show. I, I would love to interview him. I mean, obviously there's so much overlap between what I'm trying to do, work on and, and sort of his thought. Um, but, and I haven't met, I haven't met Brian yet either, but uh, obviously plenty of time and I've, hear, I've heard nothing but wonderful things. Um, so, so you come here to study with Tom and where does the, the whole like weakness of faith topic come up? How did you get your dissertation topic? Honestly, didn't know what I was doing at first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think like anybody out there who's writing a PhD, but really how I come to, to think about these things is one, I saw a lot of terrible things happen in the church that are just horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on top of it, I, I suppose the more that I made my notes in my first year, the more that I'm focusing on or, or seeing that, we just have a, have had a propensity in Christianity to just completely mess up what we think about God and faith. Mm-hmm. And as a result, everybody in the world hates us for being believers. I mean, for the most part, I mean, not everybody, but mm-hmm. um, it, we've throughout church, we as a whole have given Christianity a bad name and, and it's, it's a fact it's real. <laughs> it's happened. And that's what led me to that concept uh, of, of seeing this, this lens weakness of faith, because, because I I just want to, I just wanted to have people see what I saw when I read Bonhoeffer, just that he sees that there is a crisis of faith that, that really needs to be addressed. And if we don't do it, then one, we're not believers. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. two, we're not actually going to show the whole world who Jesus really is, that he has nothing to do with our feelings and our thoughts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that, that he is who he says he is. That's awesome. 
So let's jump into your uh, your dissertation. You start off with um, about talking about Bonhoeffer's early life. Um, we have had people come on before, sort of um, people who have written books on Bonhoeffer's early theology. Um, but there's a section in your in your dissertation where you actually speak a little bit about his family and sort of some of the uh, professors that he has. And uh, I don't think we've had anyone. I mean, I think like I told you, I've been doing this for maybe three years now. I don't think I've had anyone talk about sort of uh, that sort of Lutheran influence um, from his professors and from his from his own family. So I'm wondering if you could walk us through maybe just like a, a few offhand, who, who are like the major players that influenced him in his early life at home and, and I guess at, at seminary, uh, university as well, um, towards sort of like a Lutheran, yeah, Lutheranism, um, who, who would sort of be the go-to people for that? So I'll first start off by saying I don't really like the word influence only because of Tom. Tom's, Tom's the one who call, who's the culprit. He basically said influence is such a hard thing to argue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but sure. what I can tell you is um, I can tell you what we know and what we find out from Baker and, and what we find out from other biographies and, and what, we, what we know. And I was so interested in this just because I and fascinated about how people come to be the way that they are. I just am, I am with everybody, anybody that I read, like, why are they thinking this way? So when I look at his early childhood, Bolnhoff is, he, he grows up in this upper class home and his dad is an interesting character because he's a psychologist and he's not somebody who necessarily hates the idea of faith in God. He just is, he has this kind of Nietzschean disposition where he just thinks, well, if that's what you need to cope with life, I'm not going to stop you. That's, that's okay. I'm not really going to criticize you. I mean, everybody needs to make it through somehow. I mean, that's kind of his attitude. And on the other hand, his mother was, I mean, she's involved in a Moravian community, which is, which is awesome. I mean, Obviously, that started by Count Sindendorf, but the, the, the cool thing about the community at Hernhut that she was a part of is it's so focused on, I think, the important things, prayer, Bible study, and singing for the, for the mm -hmm. most part. But her and her sister, Kathy, um, which I guess it's Kate, but um, <laughs> I'll mess up my German all day. Okay. They were Me both... Too they were both in this, in this community together. And it's, it's fascinating because uh, Paula Bonhoeffer's mother, she wasn't as gung-ho about being a part of that community so much as her sister. Not to say that she didn't participate. It's more that she had these reservations, I think, about a ritualistic, pietistic type of life. And she didn't want to bring that into the house. That, that'd be the way I explain it. And it's, you, you see that he's, he's gaining this inheritance from his mother because if he didn't, then Life Together would have never been written for sure because mm -hmm. it's extremely Moravian-based. And that's okay. Like it, that's, what, that's what Bonhoeffer uses in it. And it, it's just something in his background. But what's cool is that as, he, as you look at his mother's family line, mm -hmm. I mean, his, his grandfather was a professor himself and it was he was a professor of practical theology and his great-grandfather's a professor of church and dogmatic history so it's it's interesting because we see Bolnifer become the combination of both you know it's yeah 
it's and then of course then you have the argument of well germans think that he's really just a practical theologian i mean anybody that you talk to in germany they're gonna be like this dude's practical theologian (laughs) but we see him as a systematic theologian and as as he is growing up he even has brothers who are basically critical of the church because they say you know what the church isn't engaging with modern philosophy and all these advances in science and honestly they're just confirming the fact that the church is just trying to hide away from everything. And only if his response is a little kid, he's like 14. He's like, you know what? I'll reform that church. Okay. I'll yeah. take the challenge. And so he decides at 14, he's going to be this theologian. I mean, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but then he goes to study at university and he has these three professors, I guess that you could say he's, he's inheriting Luther's theology from as well, but there it's like, he's, hearing it through refractions of Luther's theology or interpretations of Luther's theology, which, which causes him to look at Luther himself. So he's studying underneath Harnack and Harnack is this professor that reads Luther with this lens along the lines that Jesus was this good Jew. And because of that faith really just equals ethics. So all that we have to do is learn how to be good people and, and do good things. And that gives us faith. And Bonhoeffer looks at, you know, his professor and he's like, well, yeah, but, but Luther said that it was in Christ alone. So I, I think we're getting off track. And, you know, he goes on and on with his other professors like Seberg. Mm. Seberg, he's a Hegelian. He really loves the experience aspect. And, and what Seberg brings to the party is he thinks to himself, well, I want to bring this idea of experience to, to this thought process of how we know God, how we understand faith. So if faith is faith really could be experience, you know, like the experience of filling, fulfilling my human needs. But the problem is, is that interpretation for Bonhoeffer is like, well, yeah, but you're thinking about it from the inside still that that's the problem. So faith, faith can only come from outside if you're Lutheran from Christ. So we we failed again. (laughs) And he's reading Hall and and, and engaging with Hall and Hall is the most significant character for Bonhoeffer because he's focusing on justification, how to be right with the Lord. But the way that Hall looks at it is he focuses so much on the conscience of a human being, which Bonhoeffer later says, actually, it's that's the bad part of yourself. <laughs> it's the, that's the inside of you part. But basically, as Hall is reading Luther and his on Fichtungen and all the rest of it, he's he's seeing a man who's standing before God, finding a way to recognize all the bad in his life and finding a way to make it right. And Bonhoeffer still brings it back to the problem of, yeah, but you can't understand those things without Jesus. So again, we missed it. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's always from the inside and the outside. But what Bonhoeffer gains from that, and he gains from this experience and this inheritance is, is what he wants to distinguish between what it is to believe and what it is to not believe. Because when he really starts to, um, what he really learns from Hall and what he really takes away is that for Luther, Christ is the mediator. You can't just stand in front of God and just say, hey, you know what? I'm bad. I'll be good now. Thanks for the forgiveness. No, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Christ is the one who does that. He's the one standing there. And he's the only one who leads us out of our selfishness into this selfless nature that we only get with him. Right. We can't do it out, outside of him. And, and that's what I like about looking at the early, I, I guess, inheritance or, or, or how Bonhoeffer comes to think the way that he does, because he's growing up in a liberal time frame, 
in the same time frame that we kind of have now, mm -hmm. uh, which is just a little bit enhanced. But uh, I think yeah. it's so important to understand that lens from him because it's, he's a Lutheran that is not just a Lutheran. He's a Lutheran that's growing up in a time where they're wanting to bring new interpretations to Luther's theology. And those interpretations, unfortunately, are, are focusing on the human. And right. that's just not leading in the right direction for him. That's great. Thank you for that. Uh, you, your, as I said, your dissertation is entitled Weakness of Faith as the hermeneutical key. So I'm wondering if you, we could start off this by uh, you just having you just define, what do you mean by weakness of faith? So when I make, mean weakness of faith, and it's, I guess it'll take me a little bit to explain it, but it's all good. I, I use this hermeneutical key because I see these two theological categories in Bonhoeffer coming together and combining and then being peppered throughout his work. So when I use the term, I am reflecting on Bonhoeffer as a modern Lutheran. And I see that the category of faith is significant to him because he's a Lutheran, but the category of weakness is something that he doesn't just gain from Luther. He also gains from, I would say, a quiet conversation with Nietzsche throughout his work. Hmm. And weakness is, is this category that we see, which it, it is reflective of the way that humanity loves, we, we just want to love ourselves. And it leads us to want to think of God in that way. And it really messes up our way of thinking. So when I talk about weakness of faith, what I'm, what I'm reflecting on is this self-deception that it manifests as our love for ourselves and this self-confidence, but it leads to us imagining that God's really just this idolized version of ourselves. And the irony is that this self-deception is what we think is synonymous with faith in God. Hmm. So when it, in, in Bullmaver's theology, when I talk about weakness and when I talk about faith, we, we look at weakness in Bullmaver's theology in a positive and negative way. So for Bullmaver, weakness is positive because he sees the fact that, you know, God created us because he's the creator and, and we're the creatures and, and we're supposed to be dependent upon him. So that's, that's awesome because we, you know, at that, in, in that understanding, we only know that we're supposed to love God and other people. That's all we know. Um, but the negative aspect of weakness that we find in, in Bolnhofer's theology is the aftermath of the fall, which is selfishness. So, Bolnhofer in his theology is constantly reflecting on the fact that this selfishness is something that we inherit from Adam and it actually is keeping us from believing in God because in the end, this selfishness wants, is what makes us want to exist independent from God. And when I talk about this trope, when I'm combining this phrase weakness of, of faith and the, the positive and negative, I'm saying that he, he reflects positively on faith with this concept of weakness, which, which is fascinating because again, Bolnifer doesn't see that it's bad that we're creatures. We have to depend on God. Mm -hmm. um, but he also understands that we inherited this selfishness because of Adam's act of disobedience. And as a result, we're constantly struggling to depend upon God. And that, that for Bolnifer is a negative thing. 
But that leads him to his conversation of faith, which is that Christ is the one who actually is able to pull us out of that selfishness so that we can learn to be dependent on him again and learn to love himself and others in the way that he created us. So it's, it's getting back to that understanding of who we are and what we were created to do. Mm-hmm. And I think as we read his theology, this is just something that's always on the scene. It's weakness of faith is, is as if this backdrop of his writings that looks like a painting that comes closer and closer and closer until all this light shines upon it. And, and that's really what I mean when I say weakness of faith. Awesome. You've alluded to it a couple times already. Um, but you said there's a sort of like this quiet conversation going on with Nietzsche in the background. Um, what are some, I guess, for, let's say I, I haven't personally read any Nietzsche, like that's well on the way, surely throughout these next few years. Um, but there's, yeah, for people who are, are new to Nietzsche, um, what are some of the concepts that are kind of in play that he would uh, be relating directly to Nietzsche? That is a fantastic question. So really it's the understanding of weakness. He, okay. he pulls that from both Luther and from Nietzsche, but Nietzsche has a very particular meaning. So as Bolnifer reads and engages with Nietzsche, he's finding this man um, who sees faith in God as an expression of human weakness. So hmm. Nietzsche was an atheist. He's, I guess, a prodigy of Feuerbach, if for lack of a better way of explaining it. He believed that humans actually created this concept of faith in God because they just wanted to escape life's tragedies and create some otherworldly solution to our weaknesses that, well, there's something else out there that's, that's going to save us from all this. <laughs> and Nietzsche's upset about it, to be honest. He saw faith in God as just this human deception and this excuse to abandon the world and our struggles. So Nietzsche comes up with this solution in his own philosophy that, you know what? As humanity, we just need to grow up. Hmm. We need to abandon this faith in God and start believing in our own strength and what we can accomplish and what we can achieve as a species. I mean, to any of us who understands what our own selfishness really is, it actually sounds pretty good. Like we get to do what we want. We get to create our own version of morality. But what I like about Bonhoeffer is he, he's actually fascinated by the way that Nietzsche's thinking because he understands that a lot of what Nietzsche is saying is accurate and that Nietzsche just didn't come to the right conclusion. And, and, and that's, that's this Lutheran lens coming back into the picture. And Bolnhofer, I mean, he's infinitely, intimately familiar with this phrase from Luther, which Luther basically says, you know what, man doesn't want that God be God, man wants to be God himself. Mm-hmm. And, and so to that end, he's looking at Nietzsche through that lens. And it's, it's just so interesting because he doesn't dismiss Nietzsche. He actually affirms that a lot of the points that he making, he's making are accurate. Um, that in Christianity, we've actually had a strong tendency to do just that. Hmm. We've had a, a, a history of trying to seek the escape of the troubles of the world. And this innate selfish desire that we have continues to keep us thinking about God in an incorrect way. And as a result, we create a, ver- we, we tend to always create this version of God that looks more like us. And that's the God that Nietzsche hates because it's not real. And Bolnifer is like, yes, you're right, Nietzsche. That God isn't real. So tell me about the God that you don't believe in. I don't believe in that one either. 
I'm mm-hmm. good with that. And but for Bolnier, he comes up with this different solution to, to Nietzsche. It's not just that that we need to abandon our faith in God and believe in ourselves and our so-called strengths, but Bolnier sees the solution is not running away from the problem. Instead, he points Christians to this idea, this understanding that we really have to stop seeing God as a solution to our problems and as an escape from the world and as this infinite entity that reflects our own selfish desires. Like we can't think about God that way because that is the false God that every atheist is going to criticize. And in the end, as Christians, we should absolutely hate that version of God too, Hmm. because it has nothing to do with Jesus. Hmm. And that's why I, when I, when I think about Nietzsche and Bonhoeffer together, and when I think about him reading Nietzsche, you know, we're, we're reading at somebody who's just upset with the church and Christianity and he's upset for good reasons. Yeah. And it's, it's that weakness that we turn to God in our weakness. And that's the wrong way to turn to God. I mean, we need to turn to God in our weakness because we're, we're creatures and we need him. And that's, that's a, that's a good thing. But when we try to make him an excuse, make him some solution to what we don't understand, like that's when we get into some really, incorrect theology (laughs) (laughs) right yeah you mentioned uh, a little bit right there about uh, creatureliness like what we are creatures and uh, that sort of faith and turning to god in the right way allows us to sort of be creatures underneath uh, the creator Um, so i'm wondering uh, how does this concept of weakness of faith relate to creatureliness this is my favorite chapter um it just, it just is. Um, I'm going to admit that when I wrote it, I cried a lot just because it's so, um, the way that Bonhoeffer looks at it is so in, it's so intense. Um, just this idea that God created us because he loved us and he wants us to love himself and others in the way that he wants us to, not in the way that we think that he or others should be loved. And, and that's, that's a truly amazing thing. Um, and what I like about Bonhoeff is that when he engages in this conversation, he's reading Nietzsche because Nietzsche talks about wanting to get beyond this idea of good and evil, like let's create our own morality. Um, but in the Hebrew, it doesn't use the words good and evil. It just doesn't. It's, mm-hmm. it's pleasure and pain. And when you look at it through that lens, the, the, the account of Adam and Eve, it's a whole different picture that be when Adam's a creature, the only thing that he knows is how to please God. He doesn't know anything else. He doesn't know anything other than, you know what? I was created to love you, God, and I was created to love Eve. I, that, that's it. But what's interesting is, is as we read Bolnhofer's account of the fall, it's just fascinating because he, he actually says that, you know, maybe, maybe Adam really didn't know that when he thought about this knowledge of good and evil, this knowledge of pleasure and pain, maybe he, he thought that, well, if I eat this fruit, maybe I can actually exist for God in the way that he exists for me. You know, maybe, maybe I can make this selfless, you know, it sounds good. Right. But the problem is, is that Adam disobeys God. God says, you know, don't eat this. Adam does it. And as a result, Adam gains this new knowledge of pleasure and pain. And the problem is in that knowledge is that you cannot know pleasure without knowing pain and you cannot know pain without knowing pleasure. It's just, they, you have to know one of the other to understand the two. And that's the knowledge. And as 
as Adam, as Adam tries to be that creator, and we see Bonhoeffer showing us that, that, that he makes this decision because, you know what, I want to be a creator. I want to exist for God in the way that he exists for me. But the problem and the painful truth that comes with that knowledge is that Bonhoeffer shows us an Adam that really doesn't get what he wants. <laughs> He's not a creator in the end because the only thing that Adam can do is he can destroy what God created to make something. He can tear down a tree and build a house. He can get his wife pregnant and she can almost die in childbirth. Hmm. And all of the pain of all of your bones breaking in one instance. And that's how a woman brings life into the world. It's right to the point of death. So you don't get a, you don't get the, the opportunity to be the creator. You have this constant instinct that you want to make something, that you want to create something, but there's nothing that you can do in your own strength. And so when Bonhoeffer looks at that in the understanding of faith, he is getting to this, this point, this idea that the faith that Adam places in himself to be a creator is a weak faith because he can't do anything without God. All that he can do is create something by destroying what God made, and in the end, it's still going to cause him pain. And it separates himself from others because it causes him to always look at himself and look at others as a benefit. And, and that's, that's what Bonhoeffer focuses on so, so much. And I, I guess I found it so moving because not only does he look at this account of Adam and Eve, he also brings Christ back into the picture and says that he's the only one who can lead us back into this direction of loving God and others in the way that God wants us to, because no matter how great our intentions, we think they are, mm -hmm. it will never, it will never be for a selfless end with ourselves. Nothing that we can imagine will work that way. And I, I love that because it, he really, really makes Christ. He really focuses on Christ as the one that we really have to depend on because we, we just can never learn how to be creatures again without it. He is the creature. He is the second Adam. He is the only one who leads us that direction. And it is, it's just beautiful. Hmm. That's great. Um, you, you mentioned uh, like a lot about Christ being sort of uh, the guide in life, like no longer trying to, to build things, make things our own. Um, it, it makes me think a lot of um, discipleship. Um, the only ever looking up to Jesus and ever looking at ourselves kind of thing. Um it makes the the famous line um, only the obedient obey and only the believers only the obedient no only the obedient believe and only the believers obey uh, you know yep. that famous line uh, how does like a, a trope like a concept like weakness of faith fit into that sort of dynamic of um, how does weakness of faith fit into obedience and disobedience you know it's this is equally as important to me as creation and fall like that, that I'm talk with creatureliness because Bonhoeffer and discipleship focuses on obedience and disobedience. And he talks about what faith is and what it isn't. And I just absolutely love when he talks about the father and the child. I'm like, you know what? That's so accurate. Hmm. You know, the father's like, Hey, go to bed. And you know, the chick, the kid is like, you know what? I'm going to go play with my toys. So I get tired and I can go to bed. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> um, and it's hysterical, but it's true the way that he starts to think about our relationship with God like that. Because, I mean, it's very Lutheran. 
mm-hmm. Luther believed that that faith is obedience, that that it is listening to God's command and doing what he says. I mean, Luther's big on it, always mm-hmm. talks about it. And when only if it talks about and he focuses on obedience, he sees that Jesus is actually calling us out of ourselves and that he's actually asking us to do the opposite of always what we want to do so that we can learn to love himself and others. Like that's, that's the whole thing on Sermon on the Mount is Bonhoeffer just goes to that as this um, road book for life <laughs> else to, to describe it that, you know, this is why he's asking us to obey because it leads to a result where we realize that, that there's a reason why we have to obey God. And it's because Jesus comes to the, to, comes to earth to die for us as this second Adam, as this creature. And he gives up his life. He gives up everything, all he's got. And what's so fascinating is God doesn't even send an angel. He sends himself. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just brilliant. But in the end, Bonhoeffer looks at that and says, you know what, this this incredible God man who comes, this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, who's also God, he, he comes to us and he asks us to obey him and to follow him. And actually he's the only one who has authority to do it. He's the only one who, who actually conquered this and died for us. So he's the only one who's allowed. And what we see in, in the concept of weakness of faith in relation to obedience and disobedience is Bonhoeffer is so focused on talking about why disobedience matters and how it's the opposite of faith because Bonhoeffer even talks about the fact that when when we go so far down that path of disobedience where we just forgive ourselves and we're like you know what I'm going to stay in this repetitive sin all day no problem I know God will forgive me but the problem is with that for Bonhoeffer that God is not that version that you think that he is. He calls us out of obedience because it's all about this love conversation all day. It's about love. And the reason why he asks us to obey is because he wants us to stop being so selfish. He wants us to stop just doing everything for our own benefit and to just get outside of ourselves and love others and love himself. And I know it sounds like a repetitive theme, but it really is because Bonhoeffer sees that staying in that disobedience leads to this false version of God, that God that Nietzsche hated. Mm -hmm. And you can almost hear Nietzsche screaming Nietzsche, you know, or hear Bonhoeffer screaming Nietzsche while he's he's writing discipleship because he he wants this false version of God to come to an end. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want this version of God to be this infinite version of ourselves that tells us that we're actually allowed to do the things that we want and to treat people how we want to treat him like we want it's it's a diff completely different version of god that you see when obedience and faith are in the conversation because it's it's a conversation where again jesus is asking us to do what we really we just don't want to do hmm. and and that's the best thing because the only thing that we have for ourselves is that it's it's always going to be about us yeah right <laughs> right 
um, as, as Bonhoeffer goes on throughout his life, uh, especially towards the end, he, he starts writing about how the world is becoming more and more secular. We're really making it more and more about us and, and not even uh, using God as this sort of thing, what the, the day of sex machina, this sort of like um, the, the player that comes in and swoops in and solves all our problems just, um, but that's the only reason that we ever want God around. And he, he starts uh, talking about the secularization of the world. I'm wondering, um, sort of for these concepts that he's going through in letters and papers in prison, this increasing secularization, uh, how does weakness of faith relate to that? It's a great question. And it, it goes back to this conversation of Nietzsche and it goes, he really brings Nietzsche into the forefront of his theology, but he, he really engages with Feuerbach too, which, I mean, Feuerbach is, an, is um, who Nietzsche gains his inheritance, I guess you, you could say. Hmm. Um, but he really starts to talk about secularization, I think, in discipleship when he starts talking about the Edict of Thessalonica in 380 AD, when he's talking about the fact that there's this law that is just created in Rome that, okay, so uh, all Roman citizens here thereafter are, are believers. Okay, <laughs> that's going to lead to some really confusing theology. And that's really what, what happens is then Bonhoeffer reflects on the fact that this is what Luther was all about. This is why he came around on the scene is because Luther's seeing that we're just having going through the motions. And in reality, Luther's response to secularization is bringing us back to that concept of obedience. But when Bonhoeffer engages in his, in his old, in his mature theology, he's talking about this world that has, has grown up. He's talking about this world that's learned to live on its own two feet without God. And he starts to look at what's happened in secularization, which is that, you know, you have something like like uh, Newton, who starts with the God of the gaps. Okay. So, you know, God only fits into what we don't understand. And, and as Bolnifer gets further and further into his letters and papers and in his under, in his conversation about faith and his conversation about God, he sees that honestly, the church is really guilty of how we have looked at God and how we have thought about faith. And we've, we've messed both concepts up. So when he, when he goes on about bringing Nietzsche back into the conversation, he, He's focusing on the fact that we've created this God of our selfish desires and this God who really just exists for the solutions in our lives that we don't understand. And then what Bonhoeffer hates, and, and, and rightfully so, he sees that we've created this version of God that only exists for our problems and our escape from the world and all to fix all of our limitations that we don't understand at the time. And the problem with history is that once we actually ex exceed those limitations and we get the answers that we were looking for, well... <laughs> Well, we don't need that version of God anymore because look, we've learned how to do it on our, on our own. And, and that's, that's what Bonhoeffer wants to, to criticize is the fact that God can't be looked at like that. <laughs> He's not the solution to our problems in that way. He's not just the gaps of knowledge. That's, that's not why he came to earth. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And when he's thinking about faith, he's looking at faith in a way that Faith has been confused with not just religious entitlement, but faith has been confused with the human itself. 
it's it's been confused with that we that we throughout time have wanted to see faith as all of these things that it's really just not it's mm -hmm. this road of ethics it's this way to make us a better person um and it's for Bonhoeffer it's it's none of that the, the one thing that I love when I read about Bonhoeffer in his prison theology is that he doesn't he, 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 I like when he approaches Christian apologetics more than anything, because he thinks about the way that we have tried to respond to the world's secularization and the fact that the world has come to hate the idea of God because of what we've claimed God is. Mm -hmm. And they've come to hate the understanding of faith in God because it only has to do with this infinite version of ourselves, which, which I like what Bolnhofer says, and he brings it back to the right direction, the right point, because for Bolnhofer, secularization isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all have to know that when we read Bolnhofer, we, we just do. Um, when he looks at the, the church's response to secularization, he sees that there's just two ways in Christian, Christian apologetics. And I love it because he basically says Christian apologetics is basically worthless. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hilarious but i mean that's what he said i didn't say it um but i like it because he says you know what in the world's secularization and all this other type of stuff we've tried to use god as a solution for our problems and that didn't work everybody hates our idea of god because of it um so we've responded two ways one we tried to protect god from the world that's hilarious absolutely hilarious so god one came into the world and then he allowed himself to be put on a cross. So, so that doesn't work. God himself didn't want to be protected anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that was the point of him coming to earth. And the thing is, is that we can't try to protect God from the world in the midst of the secularization that we face every day, the midst of the atheism that we see. We can't try to protect God because he doesn't need protected. <laughs> yeah. It's just silly that we could protect God. We're, we're humans, we're creatures. It's never gonna work. And the other one I love is that he sees that we've also tried to make space for God in the world. Like, Hey, you know what? He still fits here. He still fits here. He still fits here. And you know, the things that we don't understand all of the problems that we go see our shrinks for whatever it could be. And for Bonhoeffer, it's just, he just has to say about that, that that's also the wrong direction. Hmm. Um, I mean, you can't make space for God in the world because he was born in a barn and laid in a food trough that, and then when we didn't want him anymore, we put him on a cross and kicked him out. <laughs> like it, it, and that's, that's the reality of, of how he sees Christian apologetics, but it, it leads him back to that understanding of, of weakness, that weakness of faith that we, we have created this version of God that is wrong. We have looked at God incorrectly and wrongly. And as a result, we, we have created that false version of God. And now it's actually time to put that version of God to death. We need to kill the God that Nietzsche keeps lambasting. And that's the right thing to do because that version of God has nothing to do with the God in the new Testament. I love when he says that. And then he starts pointing towards the fact that, you know, we're going to face secularization and that's okay. 
we actually just need to get back to the Jesus of the Bible, who's still leading us out of our selfishness, who's still leading us to love God himself and others. Because in the end, you can say all the religious rhetoric that you want in this day and age. No one's going to hear it. Mm-hmm. Not a soul. For Bonhoeffer, he sees that the only way that we can actually respond and live responsible lives is not to escape our responsibility to the world. That God, God has put us here in the context of the world because it's all about the conversation of love that he created us because he loves us, wants us to love others, even when they don't want to be loved. Mm-hmm. Even when they don't want to hear the name of God, we actually have to just show them who Jesus is. That's why he talks about being in Christ and being Christ for others. That's awesome. Sorry, well, I got excited. Oh, no, that's <laughs> that's great. Uh, I'm sorry for taking you a little bit over our, uh, a lot of time. Um, you probably, uh, our, our children are both probably going to be bursting through the doors <laughs> soon. Um, so I'll just give you one more uh, f- a final question. It's a bit of a fun one. Um, but uh, so it's a good old game of Desert Island. The idea is you are trapped on Desert Island and you are allowed to have one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer. So a primary and a secondary source, which two books would you take and why? You know, it's funny. I love this question because I did it, Um, but I didn't, it wasn't deserted. I was at Durham and uh, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to the island of Malta for two weeks for New Year's. So I brought a copy of Discipleship. I brought my Bible and I brought a copy of Baker. That that was it. And um, every morning I would go down into the hotel and I would eat breakfast. And as I ate breakfast, I would have discipleship up on my iPad and I would be reading the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't read anything else the entire time I was there. Hmm. And the reason why I would still take those two books with me, I mean, Baker Baker really gives us a good understanding of Bonhoeffer. I mean, it's his best friend. I I love him. And it really helps us to interpret the areas that kind of fuzzy on. But what I love about the discipleship thing and why I would bring it with me is because I love it. It just, I even have it in Italian because uh, one of my friends gave it to me as a gift. Uh, He came to Aberdeen and it's a long story, but you know, when I read discipleship and if I were to be trapped on a desert island with it, the reason why I would want that book is because we have such, I have such a deception. I have such a, a, a propensity to even deceive myself. We all do. Yeah. And, and we have this incorrect way of looking at God. We always want to revert back to it. And I love it because Bonhoeffer challenges me to see that this Jesus in the Bible is not just this Jesus that John is laying his head on his chest. Mm. You know, he's also the Jesus we encounter in revelation who's, calls us out (laughs) he's like you know what you've done this this and this right you've not grown weary you have you have recognized all the things that are not me and and all the improper stuff but if you don't love me then i'm going to take your candlestick and that's that's a scary version of god and the thing that i like about bonhoeffer is that when he talks about obedience and disobedience when he talks about creatureliness faith isn't a joke it is not something to be played with and God is not something to be played with. And I I love that because it makes it real. And, you know, when I read discipleship, I guess I think about something that happened, you know, a few weeks ago where I came home from work and uh, 
my son was so excited to see me <laughs> and he just threw down his toys and ran to me. And then I just thought to myself, you know, when I, when I read Polnick and I get excited about Jesus, that's, that's how I want to feel. Right. And if yeah. I'm not feeling that way, then I'm going to go a different direction and I'm going to start to think about God a different way. And that's, that's not believing. Right. Wow. So anyways, yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you so much. And and thank you. I mean, thank you for taking the time to do this and for writing this. I mean, it's, as I said, I'm, I'm working, I'm just starting out really writing now. So I'm sort of like, it's nice to read a, a finished product and see what it looks like when it's done and kind of give me hope <laughs> and some pointers on the way forward. But it's also, yeah, it's cool to, to just meet you and chat with you for a bit. Same here. I've really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, definitely. So uh, for listeners, again, his dissertation uh, for Dr. Lynch is uh, Weakness of Faith, a Hermeneutical Key to Interpret Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Corpus. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast. If you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash Bonhoeffer pod. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave a review in your podcast app. It will help others find the show. And speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show. Thank you to Soren Jensen, Diego Reeb, Chris Baker, Chris Sunby, Greg Harbaugh, Arthur Houts, Andrew Clark Howard, David Burnett, Hank Janelle, John Camardi, Chris Button, and Mary Chapman. And as always, thank you for listening. I love doing these every month. I learn a ton, and I hope you enjoy them as well. So that's all for now, and I'll see you all next month.